Hello, everyone, and welcome to Petite to Queen's Claim Your Career Crown podcast. I'm your host, Lynn, and today I'm joined by our special guest, Jamie Shanks. And today we're going to be talking about how to leverage social selling in your new business environment. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Jamie. He is the CEO of both Pipeline Signals and Sales for Life. Pipeline Signals is a pioneer in relationship signal intelligence monitoring, where they monitor and mine your TAM, list of accounts for relationship connections, competitive intelligence, and compelling events like job changes. They place that sales intelligence into your CRM as reminder tasks to buy back your seller's time, allowing your sellers to focus on seller, on selling, not researching. Sales for Life is the world's largest social selling training program for mid-market and enterprise companies. Sales for Life has trained over 250,000 sales and marketing professionals in dozens of industries. Jamie's workshops have been delivered across six continents for brands such as Microsoft, Thomson Reuters, Oracle, America Airlines, and Intel. My goodness, what a bio. And Jamie, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. All right. And before we get started, for any of you who are joining us for that very first time, make sure you don't miss a single episode of Claim Your Career Crown by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you love what we're doing and you love the show, please take that extra moment to leave us a five-star review. We would very much appreciate it. Okay, so Jamie, let's get into this because I know that our listeners, having heard that bio, are gonna wanna dig a little deeper and find out what inspired you to get started. Yeah, I'll start at the social selling side of it. Um, I was a VP of a SaaS software company in Toronto, Canada in my early 30s. I thought I knew every answer there was to sales and I wanted to form a sales consultancy to help local Toronto businesses. So my vision was no bigger than, you know, 100 miles from the CN Tower. And I started a consulting company. I was a jack of all trades, expert of nothing. And about two years later, I was basically claiming bankruptcy. I had no customers, no real runway. I didn't know what I was doing. Through serendipity or a whole series of stories, I wrote a preface about this in my first book. Long and the short is I saw this opportunity in something that we could coin social selling. So whether I invented the word or it's argued that maybe somebody invented it at the exact same time and I kind of hijacked it, but long of the short is I saw the emerging trend of LinkedIn for business development. There was no online courses at the time on that topic. No one was using it for business development. And I taught people how to scale pipeline creation using the tool. And that turned into a robust kind of digital selling, social selling curriculum for global enterprise and global mid-market companies. I was very fortunate to have scaled it to 600 global customers around the world. And along that journey, we would see these support tickets come in all the time. And sellers would say, it's amazing that you're teaching me to reverse engineer my customer base to look for people leaving my customers and going into prospects. What if you did that for me? 
Now, for years, I was on 80 flights a year for five years. I didn't have much time. I'm growing a business. I didn't have much time to think about developing a managed service or a SaaS software in adjacency to running a global sales training company. Then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, I bought back half my life. I wasn't on a plane anymore. And I turned to my business partner, Amar, and I said, you know that thing I've been sitting on where companies keep asking can you build a cybersecurity business, but for sales, like a monitoring business? Let's do it. And so we launched Pipeline Signals, raised capital, and it scaled way faster than the training business because people want you to do it for them. And so now what we do is we monitor our customers, customers, their prospects, their greenfield accounts, like the whole total addressable market for job changes and these compelling event alerts. And um, yeah, so I hope that answered the backstory. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, You know, COVID um, has so many different transformational uh, aspects to it, both both bad, you know, but and good on how we've all learned to adjust and pivot. And that is fantastic story. And I'm curious that as you develop this, you obviously have a very solid process behind this and how you do what you do and help your customers. Um, can you give us a little bit more about that? Yeah, the process came from a secret sauce that when I when I launched social selling, it was on the back of one singular type methodology or sales play. And the idea was that I took a sheet of paper and a pen and I drew the logo of my very first customer at Sales for Life in the center of that sheet of paper. And then I circled it and I stared at it. And kind of like the movie Back to the Future where Doc Brown hits his head on the toilet and he invents the flux capacitor, what I saw was this spider webbing effect from that one customer. That customer's name was Vision Critical. It was a market research company in Toronto, Canada. And I circled it and drew these spider webs and I asked myself a fundamental question, who cares about that story? Well, what about executives, sales and marketing executives that up and leave that company and go into other businesses that meet my ideal customer profile? Or what about the people that are working at Vision Critical today? Who are they connected to and how can they introduce me to other people? So this was the concept called the sphere of influence. That sphere of influence was then taught to a quarter million sellers around the world. And time and time again, it would play out that it worked. Reverse engineer your fans and find people that go to other businesses. They're much more likely to convert into an opportunity because they remember you from the past. Well, the problem then is from a process standpoint, you're asking very expensive resources, your sales team, who are you're paying to drive outcomes. You're asking them to be data miners at the same time. So you're asking them to do $5 an hour tasks when you're really trying to pay them $500 an hour value creation. So we took on the $5 an hour task process for them and gave them the answers to the test. So we do all the the ditch digging and we hand them the leads as these job changes happen in real time. And that's really, the, the process is pretty simple. Behind the scenes, the mechanics of routing and, you know, cross referencing thousands of customers against thousands of prospects. I mean, that's the the secret sauce, but the methodology is routed in something pretty simple. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
And that is what makes it so beautiful is when you use that simplicity to build something in the back end that has the, the complexity behind it in the sense of uh, the language and the programming that's put together to make it work so flawlessly. So I'm curious when you're working with clients and they're looking at the sphere of influence and the social selling, um, and obviously you hit on one thing that holds them back in the sense of, you know, that's why the done for you, because they don't want to be using salespeople at a really high level doing um, this data mining. So what are some of the other things that you encounter that both at, from an executive perspective to bringing you on and also from the operational or implementation perspective, whether it's in sales or potentially sales and marketing, that uh, people will come up with, you know, ways that hinder uh, really implementing the program to its fullest. Two two key, uh, key parts to the equation. You need somebody on the front end who will be an evangelist and a voice to the sales professionals that change uh, is hard but necessary. And no matter what that process is, I've been in the training space most of my adult life. And unfortunately, change is a Pareto's law. 20% of sellers will do it and 80% of sellers won't. But you need a sales leader who will work with us to create a feedback loop that is encouraging and uh, helping solve problems for sellers around messaging and engagement frameworks and so forth. So you need, this cannot be a set and forget because no matter what sales intelligence you're giving them, whether it's buying intent intelligence or relationship signals, sellers have to change the way that they think about account selection and account prioritization to use this intelligence effectively. That's part A. Part B then is you need a strong sales or revenue operations team. It could be as if you're in a small business, that could be a CRM administrator who's willing to work with us uh, because we can pass the data in a CSV file. So they upload it themselves. It comes in a data and a data upload file, or it can be zapped directly into their CRM automatically. But the type of people who are who really want to improve the cleanliness and the enrichment of their database. They look at their database as a decaying asset because it naturally decays at three yeah. a month. And that we together are working to evolve it and grow it faster than it's decaying. Um, and we're going to work in creative ways to place this intelligence in a spot where sellers don't have to change their workflows much at all. They can use tasks or they can use leads or what have you, but it's right there for them. And that's what the best customer. So I'm going to take that question and kind of reverse it. You need somebody evangelizing and you need somebody to actually do the execution, get the signals in the seller's hands so they can execute. Um, if you don't do that, you end up with shelfware because either you didn't keep the sellers engaged or you didn't put it in a place that was so simple for them that um, they put up their hands like, oh my God, change is so hard. I can't do this. Yeah, yeah that classic, make it simple, stupid, right? <laughs> so I really like what you're talking about in the sense of how you can make it really easy to adopt. Uh, adoption is always critical. And then the opportunity to have that support and the feedback 
to make sure it's implemented all the way through. Because so many times you do hear that I don't have enough leads or I don't have enough qualified leads, and yet they're actually there. And it's a matter of following through on that process so that you can take advantage and capitalize on every lead. So from an organizational standpoint, when you're working, what are some of the other areas that you may um, you know, evolve into as you're supporting your clients and potentially some of these processes uh, for engagement? Yeah, there's typically been three roles or uh, sales functions or go-to-market functions we've been working with. And I'll kind of give you the use cases. First is the marketing function. Marketing is running ABM campaigns, account-based marketing campaigns. That means they've selected a group of accounts they want to do a full court press against with paid media and content and email marketing and so forth. Now what we're doing is complementing that list of accounts by saying, Within some of the accounts you've selected, there are new key stakeholders, and some of them have come from your customer base. So really double and triple down on them. As well, we might even expand your ABM campaign because you've identified accounts or we've identified accounts where customers have left and gone into you didn't even think about. So that's called greenfield accounts. As well, naturally, every month that your marketing team is engaging, that database is decaying 3% a month. 50% a year, that database is eroding. Now we're backfilling it with all the new key stakeholders that they can go after. So that's kind of part one. Part two, SDRs, BDRs, sales development reps, business development reps, classic prospecting. Who's new in account? Because in that first 100 days, that key stakeholder may spend up to 70% of the remitted budget. Who came from your customers? And then uh, the customer success level, Customer success, his job is to protect the core customer and potentially upsell and cross-sell. They need to know everybody that goes in, up, and out within their organization, within their customer base. So who gets hired, who gets promoted, who leaves, and did they come from a friend or a foe? Because we're also able to monitor your competitors. So if all of a sudden they just hired a new chief operating officer that used to work at one of your competitors... That is a massive red flag that you're seeing. So those are the three business units that benefit. As this is a new and emerging category of buying intent or sales intelligence, we're finding that the top of the funnel prospecting has been the most thought about for this particular topic. Customer success, I think, will come over time because... Yeah, if, if we're monitoring everybody that's walking out of the door of your customer base, somebody's going to have to backfill those customers, like employment-wise, key stakeholders. Who are they and how are they interconnected to friends or foes? Yeah. No, I mean, that is actually, it's, it really brought back a memory early in my sales days. A huge account brought in a new purchasing manager. And I had, of course, made inroads into every department in the business um, and was managing all of their, it was in that day and age print, you know, the print production. And lo and behold, you know, that individual did have a pre-existing relationship with someone else. um, And I I really, it just was a blindsided me how quickly I actually lost that account. And 
the other company didn't do as well, um, didn't provide the highest, the level of quality, the service, nothing. They had all these stakeholders that I were very unhappy, but there was, it was just gone, you know, <laughs> that was just gone. And that type of research and of, um, of information, you know, it's like, well, is there some way that you can do an end run or is there anything else that could have been happened? Or it's like, okay, you know, this is something that we're going to need to replace this account, which of course I did, <laughs> but oh my goodness, it just brought back the old war story. Well, um, I, this happens to every, like, yeah. every seller who's been doing this long enough has been at the one yard line with an account and then new key stakeholders come in. And when new key stakeholders come in, they want to bring in the people, process and technology that they're accustomed to. Now, the question is, do they have any preconceived notions? Hopefully, like you have an asymmetric competitive advantage here, meaning they came from a customer of yours. Maybe they've never experienced anything and they're new and that's they're more malleable to change. So now you can get in there early or they've worked alongside a competitor of yours. And that is that preconceived notion they're going to bring in. Wouldn't you want to know that information early rather than spin your wheels for the next six months? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's definitely a threat. And then um, your strategy and and your tactics on that situation are going to change because I've also been on the receiving end where I've had clients go somewhere and bring me in. Oh, so it, it, it's a two-way street. Yeah. But what can you do potentially to protect that business that you have in some other way? Um, and certainly... Um, Besides having stakeholders within the company, you know, advocating for instead stakeholders at a higher level, you know, the VIPs within the organization, very important person, right? That you have those additional layer of potential protection. And if you've been, you know, as I used to do later on in my career, having quarterly business reviews and bringing the executives back in. Um, really helped reinforce and protect the business long term because they were aware on, if not a quarterly, every six month basis of how you are managing that corporate account and that business and not just what you had done for them, but really that focus on what you're doing for them right now and in the immediate short term. And then what's on the long term, what's on their radar, what's happening in their world. And you could then translate that to getting in position to do um, a statement of work or proof of concept and completely eliminate the competition <laughs> in that way. So a lot goes into it, but having this kind of information, I definitely think with the moving parts and over the last several years, so many people have either truly just simply retired and they're gone or they've switched jobs or switched careers and gone down a different path. Um, there's been a lot of disruption. For the average North American or Western European, in most job functions around the world, uh, I'm, I mean, we're monitoring compliance officers, legal officers, chief marketing officers, chief human resources officers. It, it almost doesn't matter. Average North American, Western European isn't keeping their job for two years. Jobs have become uh, projects. They work on a project, they move to the next company, they move to the next company. So this only is exacerbated uh, as time goes on, as people will not be at businesses for 19 years anymore. Yeah, what a, uh, and you're right. 
just a huge transition um, that we're experiencing right now. And so, of course, the solution that you provide definitely provides a new layer um, of armor and that forward thinking so that you can really provide that competitive edge. So I'm curious for everyone who's tuned in, what would you recommend that would be sort of the first step or the what they action they should take either today, tomorrow, this week that can yes. give them that advantage? Two action steps. Uh, one, I would definitely use my idea of mapping the sphere of influence. So take a happy customer, draw their logo or name on the center of a sheet of paper, circle them, and then using a tool like LinkedIn, reverse engineer, there's a button called past employee or past customer, look at everyone that has left that account and gone into other businesses. And it will shock you and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe all these people. That will awaken you to the possibility. But then as well, do a bit of an analysis. Look at your last 25 or 50 customers and ask yourself what percentage of them have either a key stakeholder, an advocate, you know, somebody in that account that came from your past customers. And if that is a meaningful percentage, then you recognize that this is a sales play that is really valuable to you, but you're doing it ad hoc. You're not doing it at scale. You're not centralizing it. And that there's a partner that can monitor 100% of your total addressable market and identify these needles in a haystack for you. Yeah. All right. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. And Jamie, this has been an incredible episode about sharing how to leverage social selling in your new business environment. And I know that our listeners are going to want to know more about you and where they can find out more about you and your business. Go to pipelinesignals.com. Everything's on the web. We're making a a very digital friendly business. Uh, And as well, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Jamie Shanks. All right. Perfect. Um, Thank you so much. And for everyone who tuned in today, Uh, We appreciate you and we're so glad you joined us. This has been such an informative discussion. And if you have any ideas that you would like to share, you can leave them down below. Just leave us a comment. We love hearing your thoughts. And if you would like to ask us a specific question or suggest a topic for discussion, you can email us at jointheconversation at petitetoqueen.com. And to stay current on all of our insightful advice, and our breakthrough advantages and incredible episodes like the one today with Jamie, you can sign up for our weekly wisdoms newsletter at petitetoqueen.com. And once again, thank you everyone who tuned in and Jamie, thank you so much. This has been such a great episode. Thank you so much for having me.